my hope for every person is that you realize what you're good at. A lot of my friends are getting to points in their careers where they're really in their element. They've like finally found what they're like supposed to do in some ways. Welcome to The Common Threads. During each episode, we'll travel through time to explore the childhoods, influences, and habits of the people behind some of the world's leading companies, movements, and ideas. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app, or check us out at commonthreadsmedia.com. I'm your host, David Swain. Today we're talking with Sandra Lu Hong, who leads technology at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative the philanthropy started by Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan. Sandra has had a front row seat to many of the great companies in technology over the past decade. We worked together in Facebook's early years where I saw her superpower of bringing calm and focus to situations that could throw the best of us off. We'll talk about that, but let's start with how she got here and growing up in the South before moving to Taiwan as a 14-year-old. Where'd you grow up? So I was born in South Carolina, and I grew up in Atlanta, and spent most of childhood there. So sort of from age four to almost 14, in uh, near Stone Mountain in Georgia. And then after 14, we actually moved to Taiwan, uh, which is where my parents are both from. But up until then, I'd only visited Taiwan, like once. um, What sent you back to Taiwan for your parents? Yeah, so my dad changed jobs around that time, and so it was mostly for for work reasons, but then also he wanted us to get to know our grandparents a little bit better and learn the language. Uh, but it was a really crazy move, yeah. <laughs> especially when you're about to go to high school and leave all your time. So you were in eighth, eighth grade? I was in eighth grade, yeah. That is a big transition here. Yes, it, um, and I went to a bilingual school, so it was like half English and half Mandarin. But anyway, culturally, it was still very, very different yeah. than Georgia. Do you ever go back to the South? Do you picture yourself as being from the South? Uh, I think I lost <laughs> the toying yeah. <laughs> uh, years ago. I did go back between ninth and 10th grade. For some reason, my parents trusted me to just spend the whole summer there by myself. And oh my I just gosh. went from family friend to friend's house. I literally just bounced around all summer. And your parents were in Taiwan yeah. and you it's, flew home? and. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I don't think I could trust my kids to do yeah. that, uh, but they let me go and uh, it was good. It was good. What I realized actually from that trip was that even though I was not enjoying Taiwan and I really wanted to be back in the States, after that summer alone, I was like, oh, actually family is important. It, it's okay. Like it's better to be where my parents are than to be in the States. And also that the U.S. is not the only way to live. Yeah. Were your parents super trusting of you? You know, when you were eight years old or you're 10 years old, what kind of neighborhood did you grow up in? Were you out walking the streets? <laughs> yeah, you know, we were definitely in the suburbs, but yeah. we are, the suburbs were backed into these forests. So I think in general, my parents, for better or worse, definitely trusted me. I don't know if I was more trustworthy as a kid or they were more trusting as parents, but we used to run around all the time, like just like free range. We would just go into the woods and play all day. Um, some of the neighbors would have just like a blow horn or something. And then when you hear the horn, it's like time to go home. So we would just use that as a signal of dinner time and then just go home. So once you went to Taiwan, you were there until college? Yeah. Yeah. So and did your parents there. stay when you... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're still there now. Oh, they are? Okay. Yeah, yeah they're still there. When I was in ninth grade, I had barely left 
had gone to Canada. That was my big, yeah, <laughs> my yeah. big trip. So yeah. what was the cultural adjustment for you? What was interesting is that growing up, my parents are really active in the Taiwanese American community. Yeah. They really support Taiwan independence. So mm-hmm. I grew up with a really strong sense of like, I am a Taiwanese American and yeah. it means a certain thing. It's a political choice to identify that way. So I like, I went to rallies and oh, wow. all these events yeah. around this. But then when it came time for us to actually move, all of my friends in that community were like, oh my goodness, like, how could you possibly move to Taiwan? And I found that really confusing because we were so like pro-Taiwan. And so from that, it was just this like big transition. Um, In Taiwan, I went to public school. And so like you wear a uniform a couple days a week. We had half day of school on Saturdays all the way through, I think in my second half of senior year, the law changed, and so we stopped going to school on the weekends. But through the whole time, it was uh, school on Saturdays. We had to clean the classroom every day. Like, I had to do bathroom checks. You know, it was just different. And in Did the you days, like that level of intensity, I'm assuming? Yeah, it, it, was, it was just very different. Yeah. <laughs> it was very different, and it was also really academically oriented compared to my experience in the States. Like... Starting in third grade, you know who's the top of the class. Like they call out, like the third little third graders come out, and so it's just very academic. Um, but I think the bigger thing is just when you go out into the city, you you, you I wasn't my Mandarin wasn't very good, and so it was just, just such a different world, you know. Yeah. And um, you do learn quickly when you're like fully immersed because you have no choice. But it is, it was definitely more urban experience also. Right? Yeah. Like you're in a really dense. Place compared to running in the woods of Georgia. So. You went from that. You went to Sanford, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. what was your what was your major? I did an interdisciplinary major. It yeah. was called Science, Technology, and Society, mm-hmm. and it was basically most of the CS major. And then I took all these other classes that I just thought were interesting around like public policy, communications, economics. In many ways, uh, my college friends sort of look at my career and like, oh, it's exactly that, (laughs) even though I didn't quite (laughs) realize it, uh, even myself along the way. Uh, But it was a mix of basically how to think about building technology and and having it actually uh, impact the world we live in. Yeah. You know, going to Stanford, was that, like, how did you know you wanted to go to such a top tier school? Yeah, it was, I would say, a lucky accident because uh, I was thinking mostly of going to small liberal arts school. Yeah. I was thinking actually of doing a music and technology major. Mm-hmm. I was kind of crazy. I don't know, that was like really random. Uh, did you play an instrument? I did. I played piano. I was like, the, yeah. I accompanied, I stopped taking like lessons after I moved to Taiwan actually, but I just accompanied all the like choirs, like the yeah. elementary school choirs. I was the pianist. And so also when you apply from Taiwan, we couldn't afford to like come back and visit school. So I just, you just, there wasn't really the internet. Like you literally, you know, it was back in the brochure right. days and yeah. you have no Type idea what college essay. is like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Type your essay. Um, I mean, we had dial up by the end, but, uh, <laughs> but you didn't really know what college was like. And so you're, you're literally just looking at these brochures. But my cousin had gone to Stanford and she randomly visited Taiwan that winter when I I was probably my junior year and she was just like you have to apply to Stanford and I had no idea so I was like okay and I just applied early I figured Stanford had a lot of majors (laughs) compared to the smaller schools and I just applied and was really lucky had you ever been to California 
Uh, I have spent a, during that summer yeah. by, where I was by myself, I had made some friends at camp who lived in LA. So I did mm-hmm. randomly spend like a week in LA. Yeah. Yeah. But that was it. What about, so as a kid, what was your family like? So uh, my mom was at home all growing up. She had started off her career as a nurse, but yeah. uh, was, you know, all of my childhood was at home. Uh, my dad is a mechanical engineer yeah. and uh, he never brought work home. So I barely understood what he did at all Uh, and you know we were they were immigrants to the U.S. and we were in Atlanta so it was very black and white as a you know most of the people there I was probably I was one of two Asian kids in a class of 600 Um, so it's very I don't know I guess growing up I was very very shy until something I don't actually was thinking back I don't know what happened but I was super shy until fifth grade and then I ran for student council president and I became student council president in fifth grade and sort of the rest is history. But at the beginning, I was really shy. And I think part of it was just like realizing I was a little different. And, you know, you don't quite understand racial dynamics as a kid, but you just know you're a little different. Like at Chinese New Year, your mom comes in and literally we'd bring Rice Krispies (laughs) to school. And my mom would come to school and write everyone's name in Mandarin. So, you know, it was special. And we like, you know, again, they were raised us to be uh, strongly identify as Taiwanese Americans, uh, but at the same time, we were different than most of the people that yeah. we lived around. Um, Did your friends, what was that like? It was interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I actually had like three birthday parties every year yeah. because one was for my school friends, one was for my Chinese school friends, and then a small one for like my Taiwanese American, which is not quite the same group as the Chinese school <laughs> friends. And so um, I look back as my parents are both the youngest of really big families or youngest, second to youngest of like eight, nine kids yeah. on both sides. And so I think I was like the uber big kid because in my family, I was like the only firstborn child. And I don't know, just right. did a lot of things pretty mm-hmm. independently. Maybe I think maybe as a result of just like who they were as parents, yeah. I just, or maybe also sort of their experience as immigrants, like, they didn't always understand, you know, the letters home from the school or whatever. I would read it and like tell them. So how old are your kids now? Yeah, my kids are eight and almost five. How is it different for them? I mean, you're, it's like a different world living in Palo Alto. Yeah, no, it's, it's very different. Um, I mean, when I got back, when I got back to the States for college, yeah. I thought California was really weird. There were a lot of Asian people and that didn't feel like America to me. Like it wasn't the America I knew, which was like, I'm would be like very much uh, different than everyone else. Uh, but for them to grow up in California, yeah, I, I think it is, if in the world, the US is a very comfortable place to live, I think California can be a very comfortable place with it. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think about it a lot because I feel like it is a little bit of a bubble. And yeah. so I just, uh, I think about how to make sure they're pretty grounded people, mm-hmm. despite living in a place where you can order gas on your phone yeah. to come yeah. to your house and things, crazy things like that. So when you think about staying grounded here, the schools around here, everybody, their parents are rocket scientists or yep. <laughs> successful at one thing or another. What are you doing to kind of encourage that? Yeah, it's definitely something I think about a lot and my husband and I talk about a lot. 
I feel like, uh, you know, when I was growing up, my parents would be like, hey, you know, when we were younger, we didn't have shoes. We'd have to walk so far. I used to ride the water buffalo. (laughs) And, you know, as a kid, you're just like, you're crazy, mom and dad. Like, that's like a different world. And so I struggle with how do you tell our kids that this is not the, this is not necessarily everyone's normal. You know, we've tried things like we, we've gone to do volunteer work. Like my eldest, he was like, at age four was like helping to, there was like a school work project. And so we would drive by the school later. It's like, oh, that's the school that I helped, you know, paint or, yeah. you know, plant flowers at. So we try to do service activities, you know, like they don't, they know they donate their Halloween candy to people, you know, the military abroad. And we just, I think, just try to like have habits and traditions now that help them at least be more aware that they are fortunate and that they have some obligation to give back you know as kids really small ways but i don't know that's important to me to just have them recognize that this is not normal for a lot of the world now you see you're at google facebook quora and now chan zuckerberg initiative all companies that have like massive scale and societal impact kind of powered by technology right is that a deliberate choice when you look at kind of your kind of chosen career path and how you've chosen your next step each time? Yeah, it, um, you know, like I mentioned with the, my college friends thinking about what I studied yeah. in school, uh, it, in many ways it, it fits in terms of my interests. And my high school in Taiwan was actually in the Silicon Valley area of Taiwan, and it was actually a school built to get people who had left to go to grad school in the U.S. to come back and have like an affordable place to send their kids. And so definitely I was always surrounded, even in high school, with uh, the semiconductor companies and, you know, all of these different, um, you know, international companies. So I, I think for me what drew me originally, besides just like physically being close to it a lot, is just that the sense that you could create and build something new. And I think the probably the two, couple themes that were consistent through my career, some of it you realize in hindsight, not yeah. all of it was super deliberate, but it was just, I wanted to be working with people who are tr- wanting to build something new and try um, to do it in a really mission oriented way. Like I think all these companies really are mission driven and really want to create tools that are helpful to people's lives. And for many reasons, they've been able to reach scale. But my time at those companies were always sort of at the earlier end, because I think for me, I'm just drawn to that creation phase, Um, not just of the products, but also of the organizations, you know. And then probably the other theme for me is just um, learning and the transitions have all been around like, oh, where, where, where might I learn more? And I'd always wanted to go to smaller and smaller places because you kind of get to I don't know. Those, yeah, you're at the startup mode. There's more to do than people. And so that's exciting to me to be in those. The self-awareness to learn that about yourself, that you like that creation phase, is that something that you've really thought about over time? Or is it you kind of naturally know I want to go to? Yeah, I think uh, when I left Google, I did want to go to a smaller place. And so I... Or I knew that at some point I would want to. And it wasn't easy to leave Google at that point. How big was Google? Probably you... about 16,000 employees. And um, how big was it when you joined? About 2,000. Okay. And so 
you know, at some point you can't really feel the size of the yeah. company anymore. It's just big. Um, so I knew I wanted to. And um, Facebook at the time wasn't tiny. It was like 400 people. Mm-hmm. But when I got there, I quickly realized, oh, many things are actually figured out even earlier at the beginning. And so I knew even then that I did want to try. And I think I, I had mentors who just encouraged me to spend the early part of my career optimizing for learning. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had that as a value of like, okay, I can... I have some flexibility now, so let me, like, try different things, you know? And now looking back, I'm like, okay, no, I really do love that, that phase, phase, which is what draws me to Chan Zuckerberg now. Yeah. And we worked together on Facebook platform in 2008, 2009. One of the things that I remember the most about you is being able to bring kind of order and vision to the chaos. Is that, like, naturally who you are? Are? Did you learn that? Yeah, I think um, I think there's some part of me that is always like that, in the sense that like there's this funny story that like I would always plan my birthday parties, and I would have three a year. <laughs> um, there was one birthday party where I planned this massive scavenger hunt at the mall. I I don't know. I must have been no more than 10 or 11. Yeah. I was calling all these stores, like, would you hold my clues? My friends right. are going to come. And I was so proud of this thing that, this game I had created, but it turned out I made it really too hard. Like, the friends yeah. had to traverse the mall, like, 10 times. Right. To, like, <laughs> and by the end, everyone's really mad at me because <laughs> they were tired. Um, but I, I think there's part of me that's always loved to pull people together and yeah. just, like, do stuff for people, if that makes right. sense. And also, I was a camp counselor pretty early on. And at this one camp, I, they really talked about servant leadership. And I don't know, something with that, even at a really young age, like really resonated. It's mm-hmm. like leaders, like you lead because you you like model, like you right. do things. Um, and I both enjoy doing things. And I also realized at some point to like do bigger things, you need to bring people along. And so that's that's always been some part, you know, mm-hmm. of who I am. And I've been lucky to be able to apply it at work, which I think, you know, is always a plus. If, I mean, the scale of Facebook and Google and Cora, you're constantly confronted with roadblocks and challenges. Right. But being able to stay positive through that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, people will say that I'm calm or graceful under right. pressure. Do you feel I, that way on the inside? The definitely moments of freak out. <laughs> definitely moments of freak out. Um, you know, certainly with some of the crises and things that we've dealt with. Uh, but I think, to me, I just know it's not that productive to really uh, go there and, like, indulge in the freak out. You know? And that it's actually the thing that's always clear is no matter what problem, I feel pretty confident we can do something and we can do something better if we're calm about it versus if we're actually freaking out. And so I think that's, that's sort of part of my leadership style yeah. now. That, uh, and I've dealt with lots of crises, bugs, other problems. I, in those moments actually are some of my peak moments, right? Mm-hmm. Like at an F8, when I distinctly remember, I think this was probably 2010, when like the keynotes ran really early and we were like the food wasn't out yet and we we're gonna launch the like button and all these things like those are the moments where i just get to see all the pieces yeah, yeah and and can see a picture for like how it will be fine it's just we have to execute so i i do sort of love those moments um at some level for some weird reason 
What do you do for staying productive, staying motivated? Like when you hit a wall. You know, I, I look back back at my time at Cora where I think overall the team and the company, we managed it. There weren't a lot of fire drills compared to other maybe startups. And, um, and so definitely thought about this question because in some ways, if you talk to that, the executive team, everyone sort of is at their best at some of these moments of uh, maybe not crisis, but just like high pressure. Um, but there wasn't always high pressure situations along the way, interestingly. Um, so I think, especially as a product manager, you can sort of create those moments though, whether it's around a launch or a milestone, uh, part of moving teams forward, recognizing that people do feel good when they like yeah. accomplish something is like to frame up the work into those um, moments in some ways, right? And, and not to cause artificial fire drills, but to really create a moment of like, hey, if we can get to this line, we should all feel the sense of accomplishment. Um, so we're just thinking about how to like split up the work into those types of things. So now, how do you balance parenting, which is much, to me at least, is much more emotional and it's like uncontrollable versus work, even a chaotic environment at work, you can, you can bring structure to. Who are you as a parent versus as a product manager? I, yeah, kids definitely <laughs> challenging and you wish you could control them, but you, know, you it's can't. It's hard, I, I try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, similar to you in some ways, but then really, really different in other ways, right? Um, I think, though, there is a similarity to work in that whether it's your kids or my colleagues or my team, my hope for every person is that you realize what you're good at, you know, and, and I want that for myself. And when I see, you know, a lot of my friends are getting to points in their careers where they're really in their element. They've, like, finally found what they're, like, supposed to do in some ways. Um, you know, just like really leaning in on your strengths and just like getting energy from doing work that makes you feel really alive. So like, that's like my hope for everyone I'm around. And it makes me really happy when I feel like I see people really in their element. And so as a parent, I actually, that's sort of the guiding thing where I hope that my children can be both self-aware and then also independent and uh, have the right boundaries. That's probably the other part that makes for a healthy person. Um, so even though they're very different, I, I think I just have to remind myself that they're on their own journey and I can, just like, you know, colleagues, and I worked at many different companies, you don't work forever with anyone. And I'm only going to be able to parent my child really for these, you know, these early years. And so in some ways, it's quite parallel. It's like, I just do what I can to help them be the person, hopefully they need to be and will be and um, to be happy and uh, fulfilled so yeah I think for one of my kids is very different than me and one of my kids is uncannily similar in personality so it's weird I think a big part of the parenting setting boundaries teaching them to be thoughtful and also letting them be okay with who they are even though it's hard for me <laughs> sometimes to watch and I'm sure it'll get harder as they get older is something I want to keep up mm -hmm. as a parent and what about you and your husband? He works at Google, mm -hmm. right? So balancing life and yeah. kids and life. Well, I think he is an amazing partner on all fronts. Uh, you know, he cooks and is, does, has all these skills I don't have. Uh, so, so I think we definitely share the, the 
home duty. Uh, children, though, aren't always 50-50, right? Yeah. They just have preferences and, and it ebbs and flows. Uh, so we communicate really well together, which I think helps make it work. And then I think we just try to be gracious of like, there are phases where like I've done a lot of startups, he's has he's had yeah. moments and we just sort of not keeping tabs. We're just like making, trying to work together to make it all work. Um, so what do you do to keep you grounded when, when you do have the ebbs and flows? A big thing which I'm still struggling with is just like self-care and resting yeah. enough. I have this coach, we've talked on the phone remotely for eight years at least, you know, throughout my career. She's a professional coach, uh, executive coach. We probably talk about sleep a huge portion, <laughs> at least 50% of the time, you know, uh, and I've gotten better. Um, I think I am a high action person. <laughs> you know, I could, I could just, you know, I enjoy my work a lot, but uh, I think over time it's like, you know, resting enough is how is is critical and necessary. Uh, exercising, you know, uh, probably could definitely be better at that. But I think those things, it, it is a very physical job, even though it doesn't seem like it yeah. because we're just using our heads and talking and sitting in meetings all the time. Uh, but realizing that it's actually like a full body thing um, has been important. Before I started at Chan Zuckerberg, I took a little bit of time between Cora and here. And, you know, I, had, I still had side projects and things I was working on. But I think the rest part, uh, I took art classes. And, you know, the art instructor in my first class kept yelling at me. He was like, you need to relax. <laughs> you can't draw with your fingers. You need to draw with your body. And I'm like, I understand what you're saying, but I can't quite get there. So it took time. Um, and now I think... Uh, I definitely recommend if people can take time to just sort of square back. Yeah. Uh, it's easy in the valley, I think, to be in hyperdrive all the time. Yeah. And um, I think we should all aim more for the marathon yeah. than the sprints. Have you kept up your art? Uh, no, <laughs> not really. Although those, once in a while I'll just doodle, which actually is good because to I'm not a good artist, yeah. but I think what I learned from the classes is to actually draw something, you need to be quiet. Mm -hmm. You need to see and observe, and then you can draw. What about four or five things that get you through your day or week? They could be apps on your home screen, your morning cup of coffee, like. Yeah, I think, well, I feel like when with young kids, you kind of just do what you can, you know, yeah. to get through. Um, I think one thing just that's been important is um, understanding, at least for, for family stuff, like what each kid most appreciates. And this is like the languages of love thing where uh, I realize one of my kids just like really wants me to do things. Like that's how he feels yeah. appreciated. And so I just, I just have to be pretty conscious of doing things, not just that are committed to my schedule, but like that would really meet each child. And that makes me feel like, um, certainly, if not every day, certainly every week, like I've done the things to really meet my kids you know, where they yeah. are. So that's been a big piece. The other is, um, the others, I think in general, routine wise, we, I'm definitely more of a night person. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of the mornings are a little just normal crazy because I'm not a morning person still. Um, but I think trying to have family time in the evening where, um, you know, there's all the logistics of evenings yeah. and getting fed and to bed but I think um, that is also time to just like enjoy and like be offline 
where have you seen things progress in your career in the Valley? And where do you hope things will keep progressing? I think my college classmates, sort of a similar age cohort, there's something where over the, at least during our careers, you know, you leave college feeling like everything up until then is like, you, at least my parents, they were like, you can do whatever Whatever. you want, right? (laughs) And I think we all kind of enter the workforce feeling very empowered and optimistic. You realize that actually, you know, at some point in your career, it's not exactly, it's not that easy necessarily, right? It's not uh, quite as straightforward. Like the business world, like the world is complex. It's not like you'd get good grades and you'll just definitely progress. So I think I would say, actually, honestly, at the beginning of my career, I didn't think about being a woman in tech that explicitly. And for a while, I like, didn't really even feel like it was a thing per se. Like I was a woman in tech, but it wasn't necessarily a thing. Honestly, it just took sort of more time in my career to realize, no, there are certain things that we need to talk about. And it's important as a leader to, to acknowledge that. And, but that was a journey, actually, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, for me over the last... Uh, over my career. I think where we are now, you know, I, I, I think a lot of the recent dialogue is great. You know, the, both the work from Cheryl and Lean In, as well as um, some of the more recent issues around harassment and, and um, other challenges that, you know, women disproportionately face, especially in tech. Um, but at the same time, I do still feel hopeful that in tech where, um, in many ways, as an industry, we're really lucky and that there are more and more people both moving into the venture space or there's like new sources of funding. You'll start to just see a shift in more founders that are women, uh, more leaders who are women. And it's just clear, like having that mix, you you do have just more things you're thinking about and, and you will take better care of your team if you have um, a representative leadership team. I've both personally seen the value of that and benefited from that and just think, we still have a long ways to go, uh, but in some ways, I'm hopeful that tech can really be ambitious on this front because mm-hmm. you know we're ambitious in all sorts of other fronts, and um, hopefully we can lead and model and, and literally and innovate. Like, what are the workplace uh, policies that could could shift to really support really not just women like families better? Yeah. You know, what are the what are the programs or what are the things that we can do more systematically to improve things? A lot of us out here in the Valley are younger when we're put in those situations too. Like having hard conversations, like learning to do that, like how do you raise? These these issues? I've definitely grown a lot as a people manager and as a a leader. I think probably the core that's always been there is is the idea of servant leadership. So that has helped me sort of feel like for better or worse, feel like, you know, I got to model and do the work to be a leader. And so I think that's been, that's like one theme. Um, I think the other theme that I've learned probably in more recent years is just the value of being direct. And I'm trying to do that more. Uh, but I also think, you know, I honestly believe like getting feedback is a gift, right? And if I can do things to help my team get better by being direct and like, that could be sharing where I'm at in my own journey. Uh, that's really valuable, right? And I, I guess it does tie together. It's like I've optimized for learning in my own career. I also am a very strengths-oriented person. Like I, the idea of just like working in your strength is like, that's mm-hmm. what I think everyone should do ideally. Like that would be awesome if the world could enable that. 
And so like those things mean for me that being direct, realizing everyone's on a journey, like I am, as well as like my team, and doing whatever I can to like give feedback to help people sort of become more of who they are. Mm -hmm. That's just like something that I strive to do. Do you have any, are there any things that you, that are kind of like your unique go-tos? In terms of like like feedback or things that Feedback or just in a meeting. Yeah, for me, and again, as a product manager, I think you learn to operate in a very interdisciplinary way because sometimes you're working with engineers, sometimes you're working with finance, sometimes you're working with legal, uh, with communications teams. So you're working on a lot of different uh, fields, experts from different fields. So I think a big part of what makes me good at what I do is being pretty empathetic to other people, but also creating, I always think maybe like a safe environment Mm -hmm. to surface ideas. Like this, I don't know if everyone agrees on this, but I really think that if we get the best ideas out there and we trust each other, that a team will have great results. Like I just like fundamentally believe in the power of an interdisciplinary diverse team. Mm -hmm. It's hard and someone has to like create a platform to make it safe for the ideas to come out. And then someone sort of needs to like glue it together and get the team to a holistic direction, right? Like uh, the worst case is like, you know, just tons of ideas and no forward momentum. But part of like what I see my job is, is like, let's get the great ideas, uh, really hear them, and then create a strategy that like is better for having had all those ideas on the table. So like when I run meetings or team lead teams, it's around like, that's like important value. Like how do we like hear from the perspectives that we have and then move forward. So Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, what brought you here and what are you hoping for? Yeah. So after I left Quora, I was looking for an opportunity that would still leverage and be able to let me build you know, products and people, organizations, uh, but also something that had a little more tangible impact on the world. Um, you know, mostly build consumer tech software products. And for me, Chan Zuckerberg is a very unique model, and I'm here because of the combination of Mark and Priscilla. You know, Mark, we all know, is like the tech visionary and thinks about scale and impact. Uh, Priscilla is a practitioner, and she's a doctor and an educator, and, you know, really pushes us to be close to the work. And I, I really think that that combination makes CZI a unique vehicle uh, to potentially impact, you know, some really important areas. And so... You know, my role here is uh, on, certainly on the technology side, which is more my experience, um, but I am super excited to, to see us bring together a team of experts from whether it's academia or government or philanthropy on top of technologists to really actually try to solve some really challenging problems that I don't really see other organizations quite, quite solving. Anymore. Are there problems where you're digging in personally more than others right now? Honestly, right now I'm doing a lot of org setup yeah. type things, so kind of a little bit across. Um, but you know, we work in science, education, as well as opportunity, and they are three distinct areas of focus for us. But there are also a lot of adjacencies, and there are also a lot of patterns across, which is like how will CZI bring technology, bring grant making, bring policy and advocacy to each of these problems. So I'm sort of thinking about them at a meta level right at this moment. That was Sandra Lu Huang talking with us in November 2017 at CZI's office in Palo Alto, California. It's going to be exciting to see what she's able to get done with Mark, Priscilla, and the team at CZI. Thanks for listening to our show this week. 
you want to find out more or give us your feedback, go to commonthreadsmedia.com or leave us a comment on Instagram or Facebook. You can subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks to Alicia Barrett, who edited the show. You've been listening to The Common Threads from Common Threads Media. Thank you.